I'm John Tachigio. I'm the acting governor for Planning Commission of Development. I want to thank everybody for joining uh, today's uh, district economic recovery team uh, public town hall. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, what the SBA has been working on for the last few weeks, as well as talk to a few of our uh, EARS pilot uh, waiver applicants and participants. Uh, so the EARS program is our educational and academic uh, retail shop. Christy Whitfield. I'm the director of the Department of Small and Local Business Development. I'm super excited to join you today. And as the deputy mayor said, um, yeah, we're going to be joined today by one of our colleagues from the, the SBA. Um, but before I introduce our colleague, I just wanted to, in case people miss um, the mayor's presser this morning, I wanted to um, let people know that in partnership with the, the main streets and the bids that um, DSLBD on behalf of Mayor Bowser and Deputy Mayor Falcecchio has, uh, are going to be in anticipation of phase one of reopening. I'm really excited to be offering uh, PPE sort of care packages. And so stay tuned and be sure to uh, check out the dc.coronavirus.gov because we will be offering small care packages of masks and sanitizer and cleaning solution for businesses that will be opening during phase one. And of course, this is just a, a starter kit. This is not everything that you need, but we know that these, uh, these materials are important and necessary in phase one and sometimes can be a little bit difficult to get. I really want to thank, you know, I want to thank our partners and I want to particularly Albert from the downtown bid who has been uh, co-leading this, this effort with us. We will be having, you know, a lot of partnerships between bids and main streets as we are, are able to disperse these, uh, these great resources to any business that is interested. You'll be able to go on to coronavirus.dc.gov and register and say, yes, I would like this. You will find a distribution location near you. 
and be able to go and pick these resources up. So again, you know, I think before, you know, before Thursday, you'll be able to register, say you want this. So go to that website for more information. And again, you know, we want everyone to be able to open. We want you to be able to open safely. Again, you know, thank you, of course, to Mayor Bowser and thank you to Deputy Mayor Falcecchio for your great leadership on this initiative and for using, you know, the, the bids and of course the main streets who are our boots on the ground, really understanding, you know, the needs of our business. We know it is, uh, you know, interesting. We'll use interesting this week, Deputy Mayor, an interesting time as we, uh, as we all move forward during this, uh, this exciting time, as we watch the data and, and move forward towards, uh, towards opening. Um, so with that, I want to introduce Roderick Johnson, who is the, the Lender Relations Specialist and the SBA at the SBA Development Center Small Business um, SBA. So Mr. Johnson is here to talk to us about the current status of SBA funding and talk to us as uh, the latest program developments in um, PPP and ESL. So I will stop talking and thank him for joining us and turn it over to him. All right. Well, thank you very much for that introduction. Again, my name is Roderick Johnson with the Small Business Administration. And I always like to start off things by giving some perspective with numbers. Um, as a former banker for 32 years, you know, numbers tell the story for me as it should for you. Now, in the last eight weeks, we've had Congress has passed $3 trillion between assisting small businesses and the average consumer, $3 trillion. Now, let's break those numbers down as to how they help business owners. So the first loan program was called the EIDL program, where you apply with the SBA at the SBA portal. That loan was up to, at that time, $2 million. It had a 30-year repayment period. You also had um a grant component to it for up to ten thousand dollars one thousand dollars per employee all right so that was the first loan program that came out for business owners and that was funded up to the tune of 120 billion dollars about a week and a half later we had what we called the paychecks protection program which was better known as the ppp program the two fundings totaled $610 billion to help business owners to sustain themselves, all right? So a lot of money put out there by Congress to actually help sustain businesses. Now, let's look at some of the numbers. So for PPP, rounds one and round two, I remember I said there was $610 billion approved. So as of May 16th, those are the latest figures that I have, $513,271,137,000 has been approved. And now that money is getting on the streets of the United States. All right. Now, how many loans were done of that $513 billion? 4,341,145 loans were actually approved under PPP. So what that means is if you're doing the math quickly in your head, 
That means that $97 billion is left under the PPP program that people can still apply for at their banks. As a quick refresher, we know those loans can go up to $10 million. It's a two-year term. There's no loan fee associated with it. And this is the key, 75% of the loan funds must be used towards payroll and the other 25% towards utilities, rent, lease, mortgage, interest on the more commercial mortgage. Now, that's how the funds must be used in order for the loan to be forgivable. What's key to the loan to being forgiven is that you must have good documentation to show how the loans, how the money was actually spent. Now, let's go back to IDLE. IDLE, the SBA received 4 million applications, 4 million applications for IDLE. 252,340 loans have been approved in the amount of, no, processed, excuse me, 252,340 have been processed where 24 billion, 874,672,512 has actually been approved. So now let's break that down into the District of Columbia. So, so far, 808 loans have been approved in the District of Columbia for a dollar amount of $120,859,300. So money is getting out there on the street to district businesses. The PPP is working. What I'll say is the average size loan for the PPP is $118,000. Now back to IDLE. For IDLE right now, the portal is closed because as I mentioned before, we received 4 million applications. And so we had to close the portal down to actually catch up in processing those loan applications. We hope to actually reopen the portal here within the next week to a week and a half. One change has happened with IDLE, and that is the maximum amount of money that you can get instead of $2 million is $150,000 because we want to spread around the, the remaining funds to as many businesses as possible to help keep them afloat. Now, one of the things that has not gotten a lot of press under the CARES Act is actually the debt relief act where if your business is in the process of expanding even during COVID-19 because there are companies that are expanding during this pandemic the SBA if you apply for a new SBA 7A 504 or microloan the SBA will pay the first 6 months on your business's behalf that is the principal interest and any monthly fees on that new loan that you take out with the bank that the SBA will guarantee. Let me repeat that because this has never happened before in the history of the SBA where the SBA will make the principal interest and fee, pay the fees on a, a new 7A, 504 or micro loan that you do. The other thing that hasn't gotten much play is deferments, okay? Well, for non-SBA and SBA loans, you go directly to your banker, have that conversation, and say that you would like to defer your loan for six months. You should not accept 
that they're not willing to do it because the FDIC and the Office of Controller Currency has already sent out information to the banks across the U.S. that it's okay for them to issue deferments without one, the credit report reflecting negatively on the borrower, and two, that the bank will not have their, their credit ratings lowered because of these deferments. So for non-SBA loans, meaning you have a line of credit with your bank, you have a term loan, a commercial mortgage, you can get up to a six-month deferment. If you already have an SBA loan, a 7A, 504, or microloan, you can get up to six months deferment on, on your loan. And so I think the SBA has tried to do a good job in finding ways in which companies can ease their cash flow based on these loan programs. Keep in mind with PPP, you don't have to make payments on that loan for the first six months. Under the idle loan program, you don't have to make a payment on that loan for 12 months. So as you can see, when you start cobbling all these loans together with the grants that you can get from the district, maybe the loan programs that you get from the district, there's plenty of funds out there in my mind to be able to sustain your business through this pandemic. Now, what I'd like to close with are some things that I think business owners need to consider. We're gonna be hearing from business owners um, a little later in this program, but here's what I think needs to be considered to whether or not you're going to reopen your business or not. One, you have to do a personal assessment. You know, were you making the kind of profits that you wanted pre-COVID-19? Have you considered other opportunities? Are you ready to potentially change your business model? Because coming out of COVID-19, it may require you to do just that. Have you done an initial business assessment? Meaning, are you willing to sell or merge with another company? Because that is a viable option. You may not, you, you know, you may not have the resources to do go it alone now after this pandemic is over. So maybe selling or merging with another company is actually a good and viable idea. Have you investigated the potential liability in reopening? Let's say you bring your employees back, someone catches you know, the coronavirus, they wanna sue you, other employees catch the virus, they wanna they want sue you, they want to sue you. So you need to keep in mind you know, the potential liability that you're taking on by reopening. Here's something key. Is your product still in demand? You know, after this current crisis, because your product may not be in demand. So you need to consider that. Have you done a cash flow assessment? So after you've used up all the federal money, the state money, the municipal money, grants and loans, all right, so how much of dry powder do you have to take you out to the next six months, nine months, 12 months? Have you spoken to your landlord about securing more favorable terms to get you through this pandemic? How you have you evaluated ways in which you can reduce or eliminate costs? Because a lot of people, you, you need to do that in times like this. You need to be able to, to squeeze out every dime that you can. All right, have you spoken with your CPA, you know, to go over cash flows? Have you done financial projections? 
Have you looked at your latest balance sheet and income statement to really see where you are? Okay. And if you reopen, how are you going to let people know that you're open again? What's going to be your means of communication? How are you going to do that? Because now your, your business may have changed. Have you reviewed any of your cybersecurity improvements that need to be made? You know, have you done that? Will you need, will you need to adopt or add any new technologies to your business? And some of it may be low tech. So for example, if you're in the restaurant industry and you're used to having people come packed in your restaurants, well, as we're seeing, restaurants are now having um, pickup and delivery services. Is that a sustainable model? That's something you, you, you need to consider. And then, you know, are there new product or services that you can offer to diversify your business? So now what the SBA is begin to focus on is how can we help businesses actually sustain and grow themselves past COVID-19? Because now under this $3 trillion CARES Act and with the help of municipal and, and state governments, there should be enough money out there for businesses to sustain themselves. So now the SBA is shifting its focus on, you know, what businesses should be doing to sustain themselves. And so that's all I have for you this afternoon. I mean, I'll be staying on for any questions that people have after, you know, we go through the full program. Um, tell me a little bit about, you mentioned that debt relief, so I'm going to jump in with a question uh, real quick. Tell us about uh, the debt relief of the 7A, uh, 504, and the microloan. How does somebody access that? Do they reach out to the SBA? Do they reach out? Who do they reach out? Okay, so there are, actually, there are banks now that are beginning to, as I say, open their doors now for business besides the PPP. So what you do is you go actually apply at your local institution for those 7A, 504, and microloans. You go directly to them for that. And they already have the understanding that they are, that the SBA will pay the principal interest and fees associated with that loan on behalf of the borrower for the first six months. Can you tell us also just what's the best way for folks to get all this information that you laid out and where do folks go if they just need somebody to talk? Who do they call? Okay. All right. So a lot of the information is out there on sba.gov. But here's the other thing. If you want updates, because as you know, this information is fluid. As, as we've seen just in the PPP program, I mean, we've had four updates since this thing rolled out in March. And so you would go to sba.gov forward slash updates and put in your zip code because you only want the information germane to your area. So you won't be getting it from all across the country. Then secondly, one of the things you can do is access the local small business development centers. And DC, of course, it's Howard University and Carl Brown and his team that obviously assist um, business owners. Great. And then I want to bring in uh, Savannah Lodic, folks. She's going to uh, interview a couple of our uh, business owners in D.C., uh, particularly the ones who are participating uh, here in the year's pilot. So 
Uh, Roderick, you talked a little bit about uh, what we like to call the pivot or the adapt. So people to pivot or adapt in order to make sure that their business survives and is able to be there for the recovery. So Saban Lloyd, do you want to talk about our panelists and bring them in and uh, start that discussion? Sure, sure, absolutely. <clears throat> Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you, Deputy Mayor, for your uh, leadership. Uh, the Deputy Mayor did touch on the EARS pilot a little earlier to earlier in this uh, program, uh, and the notion was obviously to uh, think about how businesses can open uh, safely, successfully adapt, uh, while also collecting uh, good information and, and trying to identify, you know, this current. Um, our current reality uh, as it is, um, you know, what would this look like when we go to scale? Uh, and I know everyone is fully aware that uh, reopening is upon us, at least this like the phase one is. And so uh, we did have a, the EARS uh, pilot, the waiver was launched on the 15th and we accepted applications and when quite a few businesses uh, apply and four of them are on this call with us. So I did want to welcome uh, Politics and Pros, Mr. Bradley Graham, uh, Ms. Derek and Ramonda Young from Mahogany Books, uh, Ms. Kathleen Donahue from Labyrinth Games and Puzzles, and Scott Abel from Solid State Books. And so I wanted to thank you guys for being with us today and, and sharing uh, some, uh, some insights uh, as you all uh, were, were some of the first to receive a waiver. And I, I wanted to start with just a couple of questions really quickly uh, to get your, your insight. And so as we're moving forward and, uh, and how we will be doing business is changing uh, across all industry sectors due to COVID-19. How are you uh, as a business owner um, or owners thinking about, thinking about pivoting? What does that look like for you? And then that follow-up question is, with the EARS as an EARS waiver recipient um, during this pilot, uh, how are each of you now serving customers? How has it helped? Um, how, how has it helped and, and made you also think about other things that you may not have considered um, uh, as you have received your waiver? I think that was last week. Now we're going into a second uh, pool week. And any of you can, can start, Graham, Mr. Graham? Uh, yeah, Sabangale, happy to be here. Uh, you know, like um, many independent bookstores, uh, around the country, politics and pros had to adjust very quickly in late March when we closed our doors to a new model. You know, independent bookstores really are focused um, on social gathering. Uh, so at a time of physical distancing, uh, when we couldn't have customers in the store anymore, we uh, became essentially reliant um, entirely for some weeks on web orders and phone orders uh, and became uh, kind of a shipping facility, you know, just shipping our books out. It was very frustrating for us. It was very frustrating for our customers who were used to coming in and browsing and so on. Uh, so we were very grateful when we got permission uh, to um, do the curbside pickup or grab and go, I guess you call it, um, at all three of our locations in the city. We've been doing it now for a week. Um, uh, customers are enthusiastic about it. It's labor intensive for us. It still hasn't brought back sales anywhere near what they were uh, before the crisis, but it's, um, uh, you know, it's a step back towards a, 
um, more more normal um, situation. Yeah, hi, it's Ramonda from Mahogany Books. Um, I would just like to echo what um, Brad was saying as well. Um, we get calls all the time from customers asking, when are you opening? <laughs> when are we opening? Um, but then we also have a great number who are excited to be able to get in their car, drive down the street or drive a few miles and be able to pick up their book. So I think that's been a great um, win for us and be able to be a part of this pilot program now, something that we're excited about. Um, it does have us thinking about, you know, when our doors do reopen. So right now we are having that contact with customers, you know, face to face by giving them their package um, with our masks and gloves on, all that kind of good stuff. But then it also has our wheels turning about when we do reopen, what does that look like for us? So it's kind of getting our appetite wet, so to speak, um, but also having us think about what kind of uh, precautions and guidelines and and um, different parameters we need to put in place when we fully reopen. But the curbside has been great. It's been um, fun to be able to tell people you can come pick it up versus we're only shipping online only. Um, and people are excited and been very receptive toward this, this new move right now. Fantastic. Kathleen or Scott, is there something you guys would like to, to add and share? I think for me, this is Kathleen from Labyrinth Games and Puzzles. Can you all hear me? Okay. Um, I think for me, even different than the bookstore, I know a lot of the bookstores already had online an online presence. Labyrinth has always been completely against online. Like we, we are all about people being in the store and playing old analog games and things. So this has been a tremendous challenge for us to pivot it was funny when we first closed, everybody's like, we'll just throw up a website and it's not quite that easy. Um, we have built a website and we have over half of our inventory now on it. Um, I think we're at over 3000 products now um, online, but we've done it in a month. So that was really challenging. Um, I'm excited about starting the, um, we started yesterday with grab and go curbside and it's been a lot easier than what we were doing before. We had um, worked out a deal with Mr. Henry's restaurant where they were, we were taking packages down every day and they were acting as a pickup spot for us while they were still doing takeout. But this is way easier for us. We don't have to get everything ready to take down. We don't have as limited of hours. Um, and we're being very, very careful. I think I'm concerned going forward, Labyrinth is, or at least used to be in the before times, very event focused. I mean, we used to run over 700 events a year. So we've lost all of those and all of that income, um, birthday parties, school programs, a lot of different things. And figuring out how we're gonna make that up or transition is gonna be a huge challenge because I don't know that I feel comfortable having that many people or having events anytime soon, especially to keep the staff safe. Thank you. Uh, Scott, did you, uh, would you like to, to add on to that? Um, sure, I mean, I would like to express my thanks for the DenPad team and Mr. Bangle, uh, your team as well, just to make sure that we had the opportunity to, to participate for us, the value was in the application itself, and 
uh, using the city as a as a guideline to think about the way we would be changing our practices or you know to come up with that actual plan you know as much as anything small businesses uh, really need a plan and especially when you're getting started but um, after you sometimes find yourself midstream it's hard to do that so we used the opportunity uh, to fill the application out as a, as a real as a real, as a real way to investigate uh, what we would do and, and we still have reticence. We are going to begin the curbside, or I guess I should say, uh, grab and go pick up tomorrow. Um, so I'm in here in the office today, making some of the changes to the store physically that can make that happen. We aren't going to be letting anyone in physically. The doors will remain closed, but we'll have one door that has sort of like a window to it. Um, and so we can we can do that, but then at the same time, you know, we have. We're paying for rent so that people can be in here, not just walk by and pick something up. So we're thankful to be included in that program, and we'd like to continue to have that conversation and look to leadership, especially uh, the people that have set this up. And then also we've been paying very close attention to our council member, uh, Alan, to really have a firm idea of what we need to do for the neighborhood and for the people that want to be in here to support us. So we're we're making the adjustments, and I would echo most of the things the others have said. It's a difficult new business model. Uh, grab and go is a lot of labor. Uh, the first and foremost, we have been um, really just trying to make sure that our people are safe, uh, not meant staying home for these eight weeks now for the staff. So um, we're, we're doing our best, but uh, love to see you know the right kind of science behind getting back to opening. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott, uh, for your input there. And this is a question for all four of you guys. Uh, I know, um, Scott, you're not starting until tomorrow, but I think the others have at least begun uh, begun their, uh, their grab-and-go uh, models. So with this pilot now being active a week for some of you guys, I know you probably just started. Um, what has the experience presented? Has it presented any new ideas or or any best practices that you think um, you may even institute as we uh, kind of settle into or begin to settle into this this new reality that we're getting ready to, to walk into? Um, has, has this experience exposed some things that you are considering um, uh, internally uh, for your operations? Or even eating hurdles are lessons learned based on thus far uh, this is Kathleen I think that for us um, thinking about how we can keep connection with our customers when we can't see them has been a really huge hurdle and we've come up with a lot of different things we're doing a lot of online events a lot of virtual events a lot of private events. We're now running private birthday parties for kids and things online, um, mostly through role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons, but also we're doing um, some virtual camps, a game design camp and different things that we're starting to do in June and July. Also, we're starting to do where people can buy games and then I'll have staff do a one-on-one -on -one lesson for them of how to play. Um, so our main goal is how do we keep that community feel and that labyrinth feel when it's all virtual, which is something 
that's very important to us. The community building is kind of the critical role for our business. And um, that's been a big thing. For the grab and go, I'm very lucky that one of my employees um, built a lot of stages and, and things when he was younger. So we have built a huge plexiglass screen and we have a table and um, we've uh, decorated the entire sidewalk with sidewalk chalk and little meeples. Um, and ponds of where people can stay to safely discount um, distance. And I think that so far it's been working great. And we, I got a lot of feedback from customers yesterday that they were impressed with the safety protocols that we had put in place. And I feel pretty good about keeping everybody safe right now. Nice, okay. Mr. Graham, you had something? Brad at Politics and Pros. So the, the grab and go has helped us um, prepare for um, further reopening in a couple of ways. One is to condition customers on um, what to expect, um, you know, what's required uh, of them uh, uh, just to even come and, and pick something up. You know, they still have to wear masks. They have to watch their physical distancing. We've marked out, you know, six feet markers on um, outside where they where they pick up their packages. These are requirements that we're going to you know bring into the store for customers when we're um, allowed to have some in um, and internally um, this uh, grab and go operation has uh, compelled us to sort of figure out how we're going to staff uh, service and customers while at the same time uh, keeping up with us uh, increase in in web orders that has come as a result of the um, of the crisis, you know, we we expect that when customers are able to finally come into the store, our web orders are going to go down. But we think that um, one result of the crisis is we're going to have higher uh, web orders going forward than we had before, and so we're going to have to sort of rebalance our staff and figure out you know, who's doing web orders, who's attending to customers, and we're beginning to work through that now uh, as a result of this grab and go operation. Okay, thanks, Mr. Graham. Ramonda, I had a question for you, uh, Mahogany Books, only because I know I get the emails for all of the different uh, book signings and authors that are coming in uh, as they are sharing their book in your store. And you had a, a really robust engagement uh, building the community around Mahogany Books. How has that shifted and, and changed for uh, for Mahogany Books, what, what is the approach now? Absolutely, so um, good point. We have um, always been um, trying to incorporate technology into our bookstore. And just like Kathleen was saying, community is hugely important to us. Creating a space, creating a space and an experience for our customers is something we keep top of mind all the time from the music to what they smell to what they see. And so trying to um, create that online is, <laughs> it was not the same, but with our events, we have had great success in-person events with people attending. And so we really want to recreate those connections and those conversations online. And so instead of just hopping out and saying we're having online um, virtual events, we really want to brand it. So it kind of would stick out from the fray and we, we branded it Mahogany Books Front Row because we really felt like everybody has now a front row seat to any event um, that we're hosting because they're looking at it online. So even just that branding alone has made people kind of perk up and say, wait, wait a minute, what's, what's front row? How do I get on front row? 
Um, so just kind of being creative in that way. Um, but even before the um, before COVID, we hosted a monthly book club and we would stream it um, online. So for the past year that we've had it, we've been able to connect with people nationwide um, every month for that book club. So technology, again, has always been for us from the inception of our physical store. How do we get out there and really embrace social media, really embrace customers who live across the nation, who really want to have access to Black books has been important to us. So from our book clubs to our um, events, we've always streamed um, our events because, again, infusing technology into this space um, has been important. So we would stream even when we had the physical physical events. So now, because of the um, tremendous online traffic, we are now seeing those, a lot of new customers. And for us, in our minds, are repeat customers. It's great to have somebody once, but how do you now grasp them and have them come back a second time? And so our events have helped to do that. And then our online customer service is helping to do that, which I'll be honest, it's a lot to keep up with online. It's been a tremendous um, outpour um, of customers who are at home shopping. And so we're just trying to balance out what that looks like operationally for us going forward. I think Brad mentioned it as well, looking at staffing. Um, what does that look like going forward with the increased online and then now curbside? I think for us, curbside will stay regardless um, for the future because DC has people who just want to get in and get out all the time. And so being able to, to um, provide that permanently is also another piece operationally that we are looking at having somebody in the store, having somebody be able to rent something out, and then having somebody be able to facilitate online orders. Curbside has added a new dimension for us, but one that we're embracing and excited that our customers can take advantage of. So it's a lot, we're enjoying it, but people really feel connected to those authors and those events, kind of where, just to kind of be full circle from where you started. Nice, that's interesting to, um, to, to hear. Last question for you all, and I'm gonna start with, with Scott. Um, what are, and this is for other, uh, other businesses, other brick and mortar retailers that would be on the line, what would be some one or two, you know, takeaways that you would share with any other brick and mortar retailers and what should they consider as they're going into phase one of this, uh, as the reopening, uh, begins, is there something that you guys have experienced in this, in this process that, um, you would, uh, that you would tell other retailers that they need to think about? This morning with a bookseller in Colorado talking about some of the ways we can think about what maybe we could call it the bridge. I know that the mayor has, you know, I think a four step, four phase reopening path. But for us, I mean, I think now that we're on the pilot program, we can do curbside and grab and go. And then hopefully we're, we're viewing normalcy again in you know, six or eight months. What's what gets us there? What and maybe how long is that? What is that bridge? You know, is that from June until October, or, or is there a second flare-up? So we don't know a lot, but I think one of the things we were talking about in terms of um, you know ways to think about that is are people going to be more comfortable outdoors than indoors? And we all are as retailers indoors to a pretty strong degree. So I think my advice to her was just consider how much you can get outside with your product or your or your uh, your business we have the opportunity every year to be a part of the h street festival so there may be a phase that bridge phase for us looks like a little bit more like what we look like on h street festival uh, day with a little bit more of a street presence and um you know it's going to be harder with dc weather but 
uh, I think that would be strong. And, and and I'd really urge the entire DC uh, business community to partner with the with the DEMPAD and others to really try to figure out what what we can do for sidewalk business and and make you know, maybe take this. Uh, you know, the lead of some of the restaurants or, or make it more of a European feel with a lot less uh, of the, our operations indoors and more of it out on the street. I know the restaurants are, uh, from what I gather, are after that. So, I mean, retailers, we can do that too. It just takes a little technology and know-how and a willingness. But, you know, the, we're going to be needing to reach out and, you know, we're doing that with, with emails and social media and, and virtual events and stuff. But, I think we're really going to, people are the variable. We really need to be focused on, you know, we're going to get the science, we're going to see who's sick, and we're going to take care of them, especially in a place like DC where we're doing it well. We still need to focus on the people uh, in terms of getting that, you know, unpacked and, and keeping us all here. You know, that's the, that's the main goal. Thank you, Scott. That was uh, very helpful. Um, Ramonda, Kathleen, or, or Brad, any? Any takeaways that you would have or that you would, would like to share with other business owners that are in similar situations and things that they would consider? This is Brad. I would just say, you know, you, you got to be patient. I mean, the shutdown happened very fast. Um, and, um, uh, and, and now the reopening is going to have to come in phases. And, and, and with each step, you sort of have to sort of see how things are, see how your staff's reacting, see how your customers are reacting. Uh, and then you take the next step um, and it's incremental. Uh, this is going to be hard because, um, because you know, finances are being what they are, uh, we're all hurting. And, um, and it's going to be really difficult to stretch this out and accept, you know, lower revenues than, than we'd like. Uh, in the case of bookstores, I think the demand for books is still there, which is great. Um, we can see it in our online orders and in the grab and go business, but we can't um, be in a hurry. And I think this is gonna be true of a lot of retail, be in a hurry to, to open up given the public health risks that that would involve. Yeah, and I would like to just add that um, talking to a, a new store or a person who's thinking about reopening is to listen to your gut, to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of people around us saying open, 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 right? But you can assess your team, you can assess your inventory, you can assess your operations better than anyone. And I, I say, listen to what, what you got, what you can handle, what you can do. And if that takes opening it up a little bit slower than everybody else, but being intentional and being prepared I think that that's the route to go because your customers are going to feel it. They'll they'll know if you're rushing it open and there's not precautions put in place. But listen to yourself. Take your time um, and do what's best for your customers. Do what feels right to to for your team too, and uh, it'll all pay off. I I'm hoping I'm rooting for that um, toward the end. But listening to us, listening to ourselves is important. Thank you, Ramonda. Miss Kathleen. This is Kathleen. Um, I think. Uh, Bouncing off what Brad and Ramunda just said, for me, one of the biggest challenges is how to make staff feel safe and also even how to get them into the store um, safely. We have several people who live in the neighborhood who work here, but we also have people who live further out that work here. A lot of them are younger and mostly dependent on the metro. 
and some of them are scared, some of them have, you know, health issues that make them be in high-risk groups, some of them have parents who are in high-risk groups, and trying to figure out, we have continued to pay all of our staff the entire time um, full wages. I absolutely did not want any of my staff to have to go um, on, uh, you know, any kind of assistance. And uh, it's been very challenging to do, but trying to figure out how to get them back in has been one of the biggest challenges and has taken a lot of work. Um, we have some people, one person, a few people have cars and we're going around and picking up other people and making sure we never have more than two or three people in the store at a time. But that's very challenging to get the shipping done and get the pickup orders and everything when you don't have your normal staff. I mean, we used to have seven or eight people here every Saturday. Um, when you don't have normal staff resources, it's a lot more challenging. And managing people when you're not around them, at least people who are used to retail, is very challenging. Um, but it's working, and we're doing it, and it's good. <laughs> Thank you, Kathleen. I appreciate it. I wanted to, uh, and that. That concludes the, the Q&A for you guys. So thank you, Scott, Kathleen, Ramonda, and Brad, uh, so much for sharing uh, and providing any insight and, and what your experience has been. Um, I'd like to pass it back to uh, Deputy Mayor Belchecchio uh, at this time. Spongebob, that was really insightful and inspirational to hear how our business uh, owners are uh, getting ready to reopen uh, and how uh, they've made the pivot and adapted uh, through the year's pilot. Uh, I got to say that, uh, uh, Ramonda, that was a great way to, uh, to call. I don't know if the front row was a new, uh, new term that you used or a new club that you started, uh, but everybody wants to be in the front row. Uh, so great job on that. And then also uh, building a website in the midst of the pandemic while you're trying to figure everything out really showed a lot of leadership on Kathleen's part. Uh, so definitely inspiring to hear uh, how you all have uh, adapted or made pivots. Uh, so we have some folks listening in on the phone. So if you have a question uh, for any one of our panelists, uh, you can press zero uh, right now, and that'll help us uh, see that you are kind of raising your hand. Uh, so if you press zero now, uh, you can ask a question. Uh, but also, uh, Scott had talked about uh, how we use the public space um, and maybe allowing retailers to use more of that. So. We do have some internal conversations that are going on uh, with uh, the uh, Department of Transportation, uh, as well as uh, DCRA, uh, Department of Health, ABRA, uh, and the Mayor's Special Events Task Group uh, about kind of how the Mayor says, how we can use the uh, public space for the three R's, uh, for restaurants, for retail, uh, and recreation. So in the coming days, you'll hear uh, more about that. Uh, and then also just want to make sure that uh, folks tune in tomorrow uh, at 11 a.m. Uh, as you know, we've been watching uh, the health trends from uh, DC Health uh, about where we are uh, in terms of a number of key indicators. Uh, and so we're waiting for one more indicator uh, to really allow uh, us to move forward. And so Mayor Bowser will have a briefing on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Uh, and you can watch it uh, on slash live, channel 16, or of course streaming on uh, uh, Facebook or uh, Twitter uh, at Muriel Bowser. Um, and so with that, I uh, want to see if uh, there were any questions that either the panelists had for one another or for uh, Mr. Smith as well. Uh, but if not, uh, we can wrap 
Sabanway. Anything else to cover or Christy? No, I'm good on, on this end. Thank you, sir. Anything to cover, Christy? Uh, no, Deputy Mayor. Um, I, I want to thank the panelists. Um, they're all great businesses and thank them for what they do for our communities and, you know, stay safe, everybody. And um, know that DSLBD is here to help you if you need anything. Thank you, Christy. So just wanted to uh, uh, just highlight one of the products that we made uh, that is uh, posted on the coronavirus.pc.gov uh, website, and that's our uh, before you uh, checklist. Uh, this was actually presented by uh, uh, the mayor uh, last week, uh, where we talked a little bit about kind of how people together uh, find their uh, employees and their customers, uh, thinking about what they need to to reopen. Uh, and so there are a couple of different uh, checklists on this uh, page, and it's uh, the operation checklist, the enforcement checklist, and uh, the closure plan checklist. Uh, and so what we want to do is highlight uh, that that's posted at coronavirus.bc.gov. Uh, as Chrissy mentioned, we're going to be working with the bids and the matrix to get a supply of PPE uh, and cleaning supplies out to the bids and matrix, and then we will uh, allow them to distribute it out businesses uh, in their geographic areas. So that will be happening uh, towards the end of this week, uh, more on the coronavirus.bc.gov uh, as the supplies get out to the business. And then of course, uh, like I said, tomorrow morning uh, at 11 a.m., the mayor is going to give an update on where we are uh, on reopening and possibly even announcing that uh, the reopen will happen uh, on Friday. Uh, so tune in tomorrow at 11. Uh, we want to thank you. you. know how challenging the time has been, uh, but are uh, going to help us get through this. Uh, and as we uh, continue the response, we're always keeping an eye on recovery. Uh, so I want to thank Tatiana, uh, Christy, Sabanboy, Roderick, and all of our panelists, uh, Bradley, Derek, uh, excuse me, Bradley, Ramonda, Kathleen, and Scott. Uh, and just thank you all for joining us today. Uh, we'll have this posted on uh, our website as well, uh, in case you wanted to catch anything that you may have missed. But thank you everybody for joining us today.